Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Wild Edible World podcast. This episode, you're going to catch us roasting and toasting our golden tankards. I'm your host, one of your hosts, Michael, also known as Golden Pony Boy. And I am Steve, also known as the Pumpkin King. Uh, we'll make all that more clear later. Yeah. Uh, but welcome to episode one of, probably is going to be one of my favorite episodes, episode Chantrell. Yep, the Chantrell, uh, Cantharellus yes. in general. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the species variations in a little, but yeah, the Chantrell, probably both of our favorite mushrooms. Yes. Um, there are some that I might like and enjoy and flavor more, but as far mm-hmm. as a full spectrum of like availability, plentifulness, duration of time that you have to harvest them like their season is pretty long chanterelles are probably my number one they're so good they're the best they're so good there's again like just about with everything we talk about (laughs) there's just so many interesting things you can do with them and they are a really popular chef's ingredient as well so there's been lots of culinary history behind this ingredient as well maybe we just really like to eat oh we love to eat (laughs) i mean that's what i tell people all the time is that's that's part of why i love foraging that's why i love doing this show that's why i love you know anything about nature and it's plentiful is I'm very food motivated. I love to eat. Heck yeah. So I guess a little bit about the name. Okay, um, yeah. It comes from the Greek word kentheros or tank meaning tankard or cup. Okay. Um, and if once we get into the appearance you'll you'll I mean you'll know a little bit more about it. Uh, you know, it, it almost looks like a like a what would you like a trumpet, like a little yeah. chalice or like something. A ch- yeah, it could be like a, a nice like big goblet with a white cup goblet. Um, and it's also uh, golden. It's got this golden yellow co- uh, y- yellow color, which is why we talked about golden tankards in the beginning exactly. of the episode. Exactly. Uh, the Germans call it a pifferling. Uh, the German word for pepper is piffer. I'm, huh. I'm not pronouncing that even close, right? But anyway, uh, it's because of the, the peppery taste of the mushroom. Yeah, so, pefferling. Da. Uh, that's really cool. Um, yeah, so the appearance... Unless there's anything else about like no, the no, etymology or anything, no, um, the appearance is like I said, it's got this golden color. Um, the cap it grows out of the ground. It won't ever be on wood. It's always on the ground in grass. So it, it's got these caps that kind of spread out um, from the top of the mushroom, and they can kind of they start to curl and they wrinkle. So it's golden. And then on the other side, on the underside, we don't have any gills. We have what are actually referred to as folds mm-hmm. or. Uh, what do you what do you call them? I call them ridges. Ridges. Okay. No. So yeah, definitely not um, gills. So more <laughs> of like a like a spine. Like if the mushroom needed support for its beautiful unfolding yeah. into its tankard, like spines or ridges um, over gills. Folds or uh, yeah, they also call them uh, wrinkles as well. Mm-hmm. And so they are actually uh, not distinct from other parts of the mushroom. They uh, they kind of glide from the edges of the caps down the stem. So uh, and they are kind of intersecting. So there's a lot of differences between. There's a lot of lookalikes, and we'll go into the, those descriptors later on. But the most important thing is to make sure that you have first of all uh, ridges, not mm-hmm. gills. Yes. And so gills are going to be easily removable from the stem. They're going to break and everything. Whereas the folds themselves, it, I think I liken them to uh, almost like pruny fingertips. 
like whenever your hands sure, get sure. really, really wrinkly from having too much water, that's actually very similar to how chanterelles look on the under underside. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of variation with that whenever it comes to the age. So whenever they're really young and the caps haven't exactly spread out and they're still kind of enclosed, it can be kind of hard to tell, um, especially because of the size of the mushroom, it can be kind of hard to tell whether they're folds or gills. But um, there is a couple ways you can identify this mushroom also by smell. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it smells like like earthy apricots it's got this like really fruity smell a little bit of pepper to it as well mm -hmm. um and those properties really translate well to uh food but we'll go into that later so again yeah you're unable to separate the folds from the cap and whenever you split the mushroom in half so a lot of the ways you can identify a mushroom a uh, useful one is to slice the mushroom in half and when you cut it in half you're going to notice that the color inside is actually white it's different than the golden outside. And it actually, it's, it's likened a lot um, by many people, myself included, to string cheese. So you mm -hmm. can actually grab the base of it and peel it apart, and it's going to peel just like string cheese. Yeah, and that uh, that texture, that stringy texture is why that, like why chanterelles and a lot of other like meaty or mushrooms that are considered to be meaty mm -hmm. get that texture. Is, yeah, I think yeah. like dryad salad, saddle kind of peels like that on it, on its fresher edges. Chicken of the Woods Chicken's also has those kind of fibery yeah, yeah. Uh, texture to it. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about how this mushroom like propagates a little bit and where you can find it and so a lot of the places I've found it personally. Mm -hmm. So starting off, you're going to find it in a low, like in valley areas, moist, shady, sloped areas. So I find that... Um, a lot of the times they uh, they grow in areas with plenty of drainage, so you're gonna find that, like little hills, uh, older forests, and a lot of the times they're gonna be close to streams and um, a little bit uphill from the streams too. So I've found them on tons of hiking trails right next to the trail, and it's always on this sloped hill. Um, and I think that part of that is like like uh, spore spreadage. You know, I think a lot of the times whenever you have these drainage areas. The water comes through and it can, can carry a lot of these spores downhill a little bit. So that's always a good method whenever you're finding them is to like kind of search downhill from them a little bit. Downhill and uphill and kind of like the same, like imagine how p water would flow through that area and they're going to follow that same kind of pattern. Yeah, and it makes perfect sense, uh, at least in the area. So when I imagine like my chanterelle spots, uh, I imagine exactly what you're thinking, uh, like a like an open, like wooded area, but like right next to like a stream or a, like a creek of some sort. And I mean, they're mushrooms and they're, so they're growing, they're feeding off of uh, like sugar and, and, and broken down plant matter. So uh, anywhere that has a lot of uh, like leaf, uh, you know, growth. And oh whatnot. yeah, definitely. Uh, so I've never really seen them grow up through the leaves or anything like that. So like you can't have too much leaf cover. Yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely, in, definitely in network with uh, trees. I see them definitely around like tree line drip lines from trees. Sure. Uh, old oak forests, oak trees, hardwoods. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of association with. Yeah. Um, so personally, I found them a lot. Uh, my, one of my favorite spots is actually on a disc golf course. So and it's in this like little grove, uh, like it's almost like a little shortcut between some shrubs, uh, between two holes. So it's uh, after. You you know nail the basket on one hole. You look to your left, and there's just a bunch of these little golden tankards, mm -hmm. uh, cups, just like strewn across the ground. And uh, yeah, it's like finding uh, leprechauns' gold or something. You know, like oh, dude, I love them so much. They they really are my. I, I think they're my favorite mushroom. Yeah, you know. And I like you said, there's plenty of other mushrooms that are probably more sought after 
um, culinarily or even uh, medicinally, but chanterelles are are my personal favorite. Yeah, I'll admit that there's probably even mushrooms that taste better, you know, that just have like a more uh, surprising or to a, in a normal person's palate would be a lot more appealing. But yeah, they're definitely my favorite too. I just, I love the flavor. I love the texture. Mm -hmm. I love, uh, I make a gravy out of it that's to die for. But it uh, also, how, how else, uh, what else, uh, like where, where can you find, or when can you find them, right? So for me, for at least our our area here, and in each area is going to vary a little bit, but uh, when I find the most, there's little signifiers. So uh, when it's when it's the peak of summer, when it's hot, when it's uh, you know we, we get pretty humid here in in Illinois. Oh yeah. So uh, when I see a lot of humidity, when I see a lot of spiders' webs. So when the forest is thick with uh, with life and and with with you know spiders and whatnot, I know I'm going to find chanterelles. Mm. Um, and so that's. That's my one. Yeah, for the Illinois, uh, the Chicago area local species of chanterelle, we tend to experience them late June and uh, all the way through July, I'd think, all the way through. And uh, yeah, we're almost, we're like at the precipice right now. We're, we're recording so in uh, late June. I think it's June 25th right now. So we're, we are so close to the time of chanterelles. We figured this would be a perfect time to release this episode uh, right right at the beginning of July. So. In the, yeah, in, in the next week or two, we're going to find so many. So by the time this episode's uh, released, we yeah. should be right in the middle of it. Yep. Uh, and currently, while we're recording on the 25th here, uh, it's just been dry. It's been too dry for it. Yeah, yeah. so we just got some rain today. So that's really going to help things um, mm -hmm. in July, like when, when this episode is going to be released. So that's really exciting. I hope you guys go out there and get it. What, what, are, what are some of the places that you know that you found them? Like, what are some like like I say I find mine in disc golf courses. Um, there's also like an old growth forest that we're both really familiar with that we that's we find my them particular favorite. So I have, I have a few spots that I mean you know you, you, we're creatures of habit and then also you know when we know it's going to be easy to find yeah why not so can't can't uh, stop going back so yeah old growth forest is my particular favorite. Okay great yeah like you said lots of oak trees lots of. Hardwoods. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we're going to um, go to a slide into a quick break, I think. Um, thanks for listening to the first section of this, and we'll be back on the second half of this episode to talk more about um, the varieties of ways that you can use this mushroom, some of the best ways to preserve it. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll also talk about uh, maybe a little bit about cut versus pluck. Absolutely. Get the controversy hot. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll see you soon. Thanks for coming back for the second half of this episode of the Chanterelles. We talked a lot about uh, how this is our favorite mushroom, uh, but just to start this half out, uh, there's a Swedish mycologist, Elias Fries, which is he's quoted in saying uh, that the chanterelle is one of the most important and edible mushrooms. Most important yeah. and edible. If the Swedes think so, yeah, it's got to be right, right. Yeah, right. No, I couldn't disagree with that. It's so widespread. There's so many different varieties and so many different things to eat it. 
you know? Absolutely. It's so important to us culinarily, but also, you know, a variety of other organisms. And so I'll just give you a little little nutrient. Yeah, hit us with the nooches. Yes. All right. So nutritionally, per 100 grams, uh, we have 90% water, 7% carbs, 4% fiber, 1.5 protein, and uh, like a negligible amount of fat. So not really, uh, you know, worth worth even mentioning. Uh, and then also uh, per that 100 grams, it's 38 kilocalories. So I mean, that's that's pretty low calorie, low calorie food right there. Yeah. Um, Lots of vitamin B, niacin. Uh, I'm going to try not to murder this. Uh, pantothenic acid, uh, which is essential in breaking down fatty acids. So it helps you oh. process, uh, you know, the the fattier things that you do eat, seeds or whatnot. Uh, 20% or 27% of your daily value of iron. So wow, high iron, high iron food. That's a lot of iron. Yeah, and uh, riboflavin manganese, potassium, and if this mushroom is exposed to sun, so uh, once it, I don't, once maybe the, the, the canopy starts to break down a little bit or, or something along those lines, um, you, once it's exposed to sun, you can get 35% of your daily value of vitamin D2. So, Amazing. So the, the sun causes the mushroom to make vitamin D. Yeah, so, definitely. Heck yeah. Well, and it's uh, mushrooms in general are kind of ab absorbative when it comes to vitamin D. So when it comes to time to preserve your chanterelle collection, if you want to add further add another vitamin D boost, you can actually dehydrate them in the sun. If you sun dry them, that actually infuses uh, measurable amounts of vitamin D into your food. You can do that with tomatoes, like all sorts of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so what's your favorite way to use these? Oh, shoot. My favorite way to use them is honestly just to saute them and eat them. I really love uh, just their natural flavor and everything. Um, but some of the best ways that I have, the, the best received ways I've used is um, definitely a gravy, like a chanterelle gravy. Sure. So sauteing them first and then adding them to this, like, uh, you know, a, a homemade gravy base. And that imparts all these like wonderful, so all these like scent flavors, uh, scents and flavors are uh, fat soluble. They're really fat soluble. So the best way to capture these flavors of the mushroom is in uh, butter or a gravy. And that's also, it's, it's so interesting that it has these compounds that help you break down fatty foods because mm -hmm. it also pairs best with fatty foods. Absolutely. So um, I made a gravy once that was just, yeah, phenomenal. Uh, what about you? Uh, for me, this is kind of a, a point of contention between some of me and some of my chef pals, and because uh, you know I've made uh, mushroom bisques with with chanterelle. I've you know, like you said, sautéed them with a little bit of butter, thrown it on top of a steak or a pork chop, something along those lines. Uh, but the reason why I say it's a point of contention is because uh, chef chefs that I know would roll over in their grave knowing that I made chanterelles into a soup. Because it's just touted for its for its uh, texture, you know. So, I guess. Yeah. So uh, they, I, I've had people actually say, "Oh my God, I can't believe you turned that into a soup." But like, hey, when you're chanterelle rich, word you know, exactly. Um, couple more notes: dehydrated chanterelles you mentioned oh, yeah. earlier uh, are. Uh, supposed to be even better, like the flavor is more concentrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's one of the few mushrooms that dehydrates exceptionally well, yeah. um, and it does carry a lot of its flavors. Um, there's, I've, I know plenty of interesting and and just frankly phenomenal stuff done with dried chanterelles. So scratch brewing, um, pretty famous wild uh, ingredient brewery down in southern southern Illinois 
have a chanterelle beer that they use. Uh, they, they brew with dried chanterelles. So it's a recipe that they use later on in the season when they have a whole bunch of dried chanterelles that they've collected from their property. And it, it just makes a phenomenal drink, um, really apricotty. Uh, I haven't had it in a while, so it's kind of hard to remember those flavor notes. But, of course, it's got this you know, unmistakable, unmistakable chanterelle uh, portion to it. It sounds so good. It's <laughs> it's probably one of the best beers I've ever had. Wow. I love it. I love that brewery in general just because of their ethos, you know, the way they make their stuff. It's always from wild yeast collected on their, uh, you know, in the air, basically. But I digress. They have a sh- fantastic sh- uh, chanterelle beer um, using dried chanterelles. That's one of my favorite ways to, pre- that is my favorite way to preserve dried uh, chanterelles is to dry them um, and reconstitute them in just room temperature water. So you don't want to use boiling water or hot water, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I like rehydrating. And, and this is the case, I think, with pretty much all mushrooms is that I like using room temperature water instead of hot water. I think hot water can kind of uh, start breaking down those cells a little bit too much. Absolutely. Um, and you end up with a weird texture. Yeah, you can end uh, up with like a half-cooked, uh, half-boiled mushroom. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's just kind of weird. Uh, so just getting the moisture back into the mushroom with room temperature water uh, will be great. And then also avoiding throwing out that that golden liquid, if you can, use it for a super, you know, even oh, yeah. just doing a small side soup or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fantastic idea. You get your chanterelles, you saute them, put them off to the side, take all that liquid, put it in a soup, man, and it's going to be, it's going to taste amazing. It's going to have this rich, uh, wonderful flavor. And I'd say do that with almost all your dried mushrooms. Like anytime you're reconstituting a mushroom, obviously there's different rules for some mushrooms. You want to use hot water for some, cold water for others, you know. I'm not going to be an absolutist and say you can only, uh, you should only use room temperature water for everything. Yeah. But uh, if, if it tastes good, do whatever you want. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Put it in this. Put it in the soup. You know. Exactly. Who cares what those chefs say? Chefs don't know everything. It's true. I know lots of them that know nothing. Word. <laughs> uh, just some other preservation methods. Uh, you actually mentioned this before the before the podcast. Um, pickling. Yeah. Pickling. That sounds lovely. Yeah. No, there's a really cool pickle you can do with it. Uh, you just cook them in the pickling liquid mm-hmm. and then hot hot can them. Like, so pour the liquid in there hot, process it. I'm pretty sure you just you can just easily do a water boil uh, processing for about 15 minutes, and that'll give you uh, shelf-stable pickled mushrooms for quite some time. And then just methods to stay away from. Uh, freezing. From what I'm, mm. from from what my research uh, yielded, uh, freezing tends to be the less favored because it it can make the mushrooms a little bitter once once cooked again. So yeah, I'll take their word for it. Yeah, you I'll, know? I'll I'll probably give it a try. Yeah, you know? go for Why it. Not? Right on. Yeah, see if they're right or not. I have uh, I enjoy drying too much, and uh, I don't have enough freezer space. Yeah. See, I put my chicken of the woods in the freezer usually mm-hmm. if I have an abundance of those, but. Uh, yeah, I definitely uh, stay away from freezing them. So moving on, we've got actually a really cool local species of chanterelle in the northern Illinois area, and it extends, I believe, into uh, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a little bit larger range. And if you are from this area, you'll notice, if you have found chanterelles before, that they're actually pretty small compared to some of the coastal species where they're a little bit more famous, where you have these you know, chanterelles as big as your hand. You know, yeah, more of like that chalice. Yeah, yeah much and, more. And ours are more of like espresso cups. Yeah, the <laughs> tiny little tea, tea cups. Um, yeah, so I mean, the largest I've ever found is probably would fit easily in the palm of my hand. Same. So they mm-hmm. never get that big. Um, and so that actual species, this actual species, is called uh, Cantharellus chicagoensis. Mm-hmm. So it's named after this area, it, and it can have uh, kind of a almost a green tint. 
on the tops of the caps when they're really, really young. And I've, I've seen that myself. Absolutely. So it's a wonderful species. I'm happy to have it oh, here. Oh, they're super tasty. Yeah. For and sure. I'm happy that we've been able to, like, have some sort of DNA processing to be able to, like, say, oh, no, this is a definitively different species than what else the other ones around it. Um, so we'll get into a little bit about the, the pick or cut controversy. Um, and this is actually the mushroom that they have done that study on. There's, there's a lot of paper evidence to show uh, the effect of these different methods on this mushroom. Mm -hmm. So personally, I'm a cut person. I like cutting the mushrooms. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of people will argue that that actually leaves the mushroom open to infection. So if you mm -hmm. leave any above ground parts, sure. it can get a, it'll start rotting and it'll get infected and you're not going to get as many mushrooms next year. And that's mm. what they say plucking prevents. Um, and what, what, what do you prefer? You, you cut or pick? That's, you know, I, I, I'm a cutter. For sure a cutter. Yeah. Um, I, I've picked before. Of course. But I'm definitely a cutter if I can. So I, I always keep a knife on me, yeah. um, you know, specifically for this purpose. And in my brain, it, the way I rationalize it is, sure, the spores are getting spread no matter what. You know, I, right. I, always, I always use a basket as opposed to a bag or some sort of, like, uh, like the the reusable produce bags that that are mesh. Yeah, you know? sure, yeah. Uh, so I use that when collecting mushrooms, just so the spores still get spread. I'm not standing in the way of that happening. Uh, but the way I rationalize it, so like the the hyphae are below the surface, and they're just like the you know the the mass of the mushroom, mm -hmm. and then the fruiting body is how it spreads. So it pops up through the through the soil, makes this cool little uh, tankard, um, and so like I like to leave the hyphae as is. You know, and in, in my in my mind that that you know is a something that's going to uh, continue to spread or maybe even fruit more. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh, that's how I rationalize it. I think either way, mushrooms are going to break down. So as far as like rotting and things like that, I think either way that's going to happen. I mean, and, and it's that's by design. And that's because of the mushroom. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> by design, it's going to, if you leave it there, it's going to rot and mm -hmm. uh, decompose. So, and uh, I my personal opinion is I'm a cutter. Uh, I like cutting the mushrooms, uh, and it is exclusively, I don't believe that it's going to have any effect on the reproduction of the mushroom. I just think it's cleaner. That's the main reason, is that it's just cleaner. And yeah. the numbers actually do kind of support that it doesn't matter. <laughs> you can pick. Yeah. You can cut. It's sure. not going to change the numbers in any uh, measurable way. Yeah. And th there was, a, I believe there was a difference in the numbers of whenever you cut mushrooms, but it was so negligible that it's like, well, okay, so f you get five mushrooms less next year. And, you know, this study didn't last 10 years, so you're going to have variation in spots. You know, the populations are going to go up and down. So, yeah. So last note here, we want to talk about the toxic lookalike of this mushroom. So there's uh, another mushroom that kind of grows similarly. It's not necessarily in the same growing period, I don't think. I'm pretty sure that... Uh, Okay, so the toxic look like is called the jack-o'-lantern mushroom. Hence the pumpkin king. Hence the hence <laughs> Steve the pumpkin king, um, and that's called Omphalotus iludens. So this is a, a gilled mushroom. So it actually has physical gills on it mm -hmm. that do run down the stem a little bit. So one of the main factors you want to make sure you see is that you can break the gills off. They're going to be much more separated from the underside of the cap than folds will be because they are true gills. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is that uh, chanterelles are yellow, 
And jack-o'-lantern mushrooms are definitively orange. They're very orangish, and that right. orangeness is actually going to come off on your hands. Mm -hmm. Their spores are orangey, the gills are orangey, everything is just like so orange. Um, they uh, are also growing on stumps or wood. So that was another thing we clarified with chanterelles earlier, is that you'll never find chanterelles growing on wood. They're always going to be coming out of the ground, out of dirt, because they're mycorrhizal. And pretty, they live mm -hmm. in these networks of roots, so they're on the edges of these trees. They're not going to be on the trees themselves. So make sure you remember that. Um, beyond that, I think that's it. Yeah, and just, just a side note, if you do make a, a wrong uh, identification and eat a jack, it's not going to kill you. No, you'll get pretty ill. It's just going to make you real sick. Yeah, it's not fatal. <laughs> it, it won't be a fatal mistake. Oh, another thing. I, I Forgive me. I remembered something else about the distinction between chanterelles and jack-o'-lantern. Chanterelles will almost always be solitary. They grow in individuals. You'll find mm -hmm. a lot of them near each other, but they won't be growing out the same exact space. And you're going to find jack-o'-lanterns fruiting from one spot, like an oyster mushroom will. Like yeah. They all are almost connected at the bottom. So they're going to be in clusters, and chanterelles will not be. Um, just another random cool fact about the jack-o'-lantern mushroom. Um, we always try to show a little bit of appreciation for all of nature's uh, wonderful creations, regardless of whether we can eat them or not. Something eats it. Something eats it, yeah. It's a part of our <laughs> ecosystem, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, it also glows in the dark. Yes. Which is very freaking cool. Hence the jack-o'-lantern. Which is why it's called a jack-o'-lantern <laughs> mushroom, yeah. Because it grows, it has this amazing bioluminescence yeah. whenever at, at night. So, um, Thanks for listening to the Chantrell episode and sharing one of our favorite mushrooms with us. We hope you can find some this year. Yeah, please do. Go out there, find it, eat it, and let us know. What yeah, you share think. your finds with us on uh, Discord, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can message us anytime with any questions if you need help identifying it as well. Thank you. It's been a blast. It's been a super blast. See you next time.